Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Where to hunt Where podcast. To hunt it's, it's, okay. It's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is January 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Eric Clark. What's up, everybody? Hey, welcome back. Happy to have you. Today was a really, really neat episode. Uh, we talked with Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. I don't think he needs an introduction and you ought to know who he is. So um, we'll get into that in a minute. Before we do, you know what time it is. Well, it's actually pretty late at night. <laughs> it's time to call out the sponsors. Uh, it's late at night and I have had plenty of coffee. In fact, I had Backwoods Grind coffee. In fact, I had their Camp House Blend, which is the one that is my go-to. So um, if you want to try it out, backwoodsgrind.com, head on over there, enter in code W2H podcast. You're going to get 10% off. I highly recommend it. If you haven't heard of Gumleaf Boots, if we switch boots, I recommend switching boots to Gumleaf Boots. Gumleaf is a type of rubber or tree that produces rubber. So their name is kind of interesting, but their boots are made from scratch by hand, by hand, from scratch, however you want to say that. Um, they're 85% natural rubber. Every time I invite someone over to the studio, I have them, you know, try these boots on, feel the boots, see what they're like. And they, they do feel different and of a higher quality than the boots you're going to find at a big box store. So if you're curious, go to gumleafusa.com, check out their website. They have some great video footage on there. And if you want to pull the trigger, Enter in code W2H2019 and you're going to get free shipping on those boots. So uh, lastly, we want to, uh, well, I guess we introduced musket powder last week. I've been putting on everything and uh, we're going to do our recipe of the week winner. So for those of you that don't know, if you share a recipe of the week with us, um, not of the week, but share your recipes with us, it will be the recipe of the week and for everyone that enters, um, y'all win a chance to win some free musket powder. But if you don't do that, that's fine. If you want to just try out the musket powder seasoning, uh, you can enter in code W2H podcast over at musketpowder.com and you can get a BOGO, a buy one, get one. So let's go ahead and get into the recipe of the week. The recipe of the week. The recipe of the week is brought to you by musket powder. Completely cover, then add a little more. Camp tested. You hear that? That's the sound of tastiness. And speaking of tastiness, the recipe of the week this week was brought to you by the Hunt of Vore podcast. So Nick, thank you so much for sharing the recipe of the week. You are the winner of a new 
musket powder seasonal homemade cam tested um i don't know what to call what it's in it's in you know a seasoning sprinkler container uh but you shared with us the wild game uh gosh i can't say this name g-y-o-z-a-s uh you Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> someone's gonna have to correct me on that for the love of pete but uh you said your wife's grandfather was stationed over in japan during the time of the vietnam war and uh, he was a mechanic and prep vehicles for deployment etc but during his deployment he uh befriended a japanese family who shared their favorite uh dumpling recipe with them the gyoza gyoza which is a fried or steamed bundle of goodness that could be dunked into any dipping sauce Okay, so the wild game Gaiaza yields about 50 um, dumplings. The prep time is about 15 minutes. Uh, assembly is 45 minutes. Cook time is 10. So you're a little over an hour on this. The ingredients, if we're talking about wild game, which we are, one pound of ground venison, a package of wontons, two sea uh, bok choy. I'm probably saying that wrong. A half a green onion, one sea shiitake mushrooms oh so sima stand for like some sort of <laughs> cup is what it is so two cups uh bok choy uh one and a, or a half cup of of green onions one cup of shiitake mushrooms two to three garlic cloves one teaspoon of ginger root grated two tablespoons of soy sauce optional two tablespoons of sesame oil optional two tablespoons of uh rice wine optional and then there's instructions on how you actually create this recipe, but they look like dumplings and inside them is venison and goodness. And this is a great recipe. So if you want to check out that recipe, um, in fact, it looks like the Hunt of War podcast is part of the Sportsman's Nation. So if you go to sportsmansnation.com slash blog slash wild games dash Gyazas, G-Y-O-Z-A-S. You can find that recipe there. So thanks again, Nick, for sharing. Let's go ahead and get into our episode. Hey, so on the line with us, we're really enthused and excited to bring on our guest of the week today with us on the line is Mark Kenyon. I don't think he needs an introduction, but he's with Wired to Hunt podcast. Mr. Wired to Hunt. What's going on, Mark? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, I love the way you guys open it, just being the OKS podcast. I'm a big fan of under-promising, over-delivering. You, <laughs> so you guys are knocking well, it out can, of the park with that one. We can under-promise and probably under-deliver both ways. So Yeah, because yeah. if anyone ever says, that podcast is OK, it's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> we know. I was, uh, I was doing uh, an event last week, and some guys came up to me and introduced themselves to me, and they told me that they're from Climax, Michigan. And I automatically just made the same joke. I just told you guys that you might be setting yourself up for failure with that uh, hometown. <laughs> so uh, maybe not an appropriate way to start the podcast, but i um, channeling my inner Dan Johnson for this one with an off-color joke. <laughs> That's great. I like it. Man, so it's funny. I don't know that we've had a whole lot of folks on here that we could say they don't need an introduction. Certainly in the hunting community, you probably don't need one um, at all. I think most folks ought to know who you are. You've kind of pioneered what we're doing right now. Yeah, I, I know I've been listening to your podcast for quite a few years. I mean, I know you've you've been involved with some, some pretty big names in the hunting industry, some awesome conservationists such as Randy Newberg, um, obviously now with the Mediator crew. Uh, they're all great yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, so thank you. How maybe um gosh let's uh 
let's unpack and unpack is a great word here because I think you're a big backpacker too. Um, how did this all start for you, man? Like wh- what happened, you know, to make that leap? A lot of people look to do something like that. It's hard to know how to start. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'm struggling to to find something that's particularly interesting with this story because you know, over the years I've kind of rehashed it um, in various places, and I'd love to have a unique grand, uh, a unique bit of of information here. But I guess you know it started in a cinder block apartment building in the upper west side of New York City. That's a little tidbit people probably didn't know. It started in a dorm room, so it technically wasn't a real apartment. It was a dorm for Columbia University. Um, so big fancy school up there in New York City, and I actually wasn't going to school there. I was there for an internship in New York for an ad agency, and the uh, cheapest housing I could find was in the dorms for the school. And so what you did is you shared a kitchen and a bathroom kind of like a, I think they call it a suite style system. So there was, I think, three roommates to a kitchen and a bathroom, and then basically a a little single room that I packed uh, a tiny bed and a tiny dresser and all my clothes and stuff for the summer into this little tiny room. And uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty bare, pretty minimalist, but made it work. And I was out there, like I said, working for an ad agency, doing a bunch of digital marketing, um, pretty early stage digital marketing. This is right when Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff was just starting to pick up some steam within the business world. I think this was 2007, somewhere in that like ballpark. Like SEO, pay-per-click, that kind of stuff, pre-roll. So that stuff was, yeah, that retargeting. stuff was going. Um, yeah, not even retargeting by that at that point. Mm. Um, but my job at this company was to actually facilitate relationships with bloggers. So trying to get folks that were just starting some of these early stage blogs back in 2007, 2008 to write about and talk about and promote my client's products. So, um, that was what I did every day. And I was kind of miserable doing it simply because I was stuck in Manhattan and I couldn't get out to hunt and fish and do the stuff I love. And I felt claustrophobic and it was just loud and stinky and too many people and and I missed my outdoor activities and uh, all that said I'd go on these lunch breaks and kind of just try to disappear from the office as best as I could so I would go I'd I'd go down I was working in this big lake skyscraper I guess on 42nd street I think it was and so you go down and the two things I would do every day is there was a little shop down the corner where you get a dollar slice of pizza. So I go down, wait in line to get a dollar, two, two, two slices of dollar pizza, this big, great big New York city slice of pizza. Oh, and God, then, so um, yeah. And then I would go and try to find a newsstand that would have something hunting related. Um, this is kind of hard to find in New York city, but you usually will be able to find like a field and stream or an outdoor life yeah. or a few magazines like that. Um, so whenever there's new issues, I was always picking those up and I would sit and go back to my cubicle and I would put my headphones on. I kind of sit in the corner of my cubicle and look at these things and dream about being in these places and, uh, eat my pizza and misery. And <laughs> one of these days I finally decided, you know what? I need to be creating something. I need to somehow scratch this itch I have. Cause I, I can't get out and do these things, but I need to somehow be involved in them. And every day I'm working with all these bloggers 
I finally thought to myself, well, why don't I start one of these things? Maybe I could write about hunting and that would be fun and it could get me more involved in this stuff, even though I'm not doing it. And, you know, maybe something I'm learning in this job can help me do that. So I went home one day to that little cinder block apartment building and got in my room and found out, just did some looking online, how to make a website. I learned how to make a website and then learned, you know, made a Facebook page and made a Twitter account and started researching how to write blog posts and how to build a blog and how to do all these different kinds of things. Um, then I started writing cold emails to different writers within the deer hunting world. And I'm, I'm a no one. I know nothing. I'm 20 years old. I'm in college. I've hardly had any hunting success to that point. I've hunted my whole life, but with very little success to show for it. Um, and I'm just, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to build something. And that is where Wired Hunt started. So started the blog then and, uh, you know, worked on it that summer. But then, you know, the summer ended, school picked back up again, and my senior year of college kind of whisked me away to all the things that a senior of college does. Uh, but it wasn't until the following year that um, I'd taken a full-time job again in the tech and marketing world and um, again found myself wishing that I was doing something outside. And so I returned to Wired Hunt and then at that point decided, you know what, this is something that I really can, it doesn't need to be just a little hobby thing that I do um, during the summer. This could be maybe the ticket to making a living was something I'm passionate about. And so trying to make this story shorter for you, over the next four years, I just worked and worked and worked, you know, working full time, but all the hours before and the hours after work, I was building Wired to Hunt, learning how to write well, learning how to film and produce YouTube videos, learning how to connect and engage with people on social media, learning how to market, learning how to build a business, all this stuff. Um, just kind of immersed myself in all of those different facets of what I was trying to build with Wired Hunt and uh, got really lucky and fortunate that people, you know, were enjoying it and um, was eventually slowly year after year after year able to build something that uh, led to me being able to go full time with it in 2013 and you. You know, that continued, continued to grow and change since then and I'm still I'm still doing it in different forms now, but I'm I'm still very lucky to be able to write and talk and film about hunting and the outdoors and do it for a living. That's awesome. You did then what everyone now calls a side hustle. Back before yeah. it was like a cool thing. You were doing it because it was your dream, your real dream, and you weren't pontificating about it. You were just working in silence and letting your work do the talking for you. Yeah, just just trying to make that dream a reality. So I, uh, I try to pinch myself every day and remind myself <laughs> to be thankful that, uh, that it worked out. That's pretty great, man. I mean, how, so it's gotta be interesting for you as a 20 something year old in college in New York to, to start to kind of carve this out and thinking about like back then you're probably just like, okay, I'm learning, I'm figuring this out. I'm doing something that I'm happy about. I, I don't mind getting up early, staying up late, et cetera. But did you have a vision back then that you would have authored a book um, that you would have made one of the, you know, widely, most widely known hunting podcasts connected with some of the, you know, most well-known people in the community? You know, I definitely don't know if I saw all those things coming <laughs> to fruition early on at that stage. Uh, but I will tell you that, you know, by that second year, by the time that I was working full-time out of college, 
So this would have been the fall of '09, I think. I did, I did have a vision of someday this is going to be a, a really good thing someday. I, I believe that I could, I was going to take it seriously. I'm going to find some way for this thing to work in maybe a different form. Maybe it wouldn't be plan A, but maybe then it'd be plan B. And if plan B didn't work out, dang it, I'll make plan C work. I was going to do something meaningful within this world that I love so much. I, I pretty much dedicated myself to find a way. And so, so, so I guess, I guess I'm, I'm shocked and thrilled and surprised and awestruck and very, very, thankful that the certain set of circumstances that I've lived through have come to be and that I'm, that I'm able to do this. But, um, but I guess it's fair to say that I had confidence that I thought I could do something, something like this. Now, I, you know, all those details stuff, you know, life happens for a reason. Things surprise you. You, you take advantage of the opportunities that arise when they do. and You learn from the mistakes you make and you, kind of struggle through it and figure things out. So not everything's gone right. Not everything I've tried has uh, has been terrific, but uh, I've tried to just keep on keeping on. And, like um, that? Yeah. What's that expectation to... versus reality meme? You you have a plan. What, what does Mike Tyson say? Everyone has a plan until until you get punched in the mouth. Until you get punched in the face? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. Yeah, but but even so, you've taken the punch as well. I'm sure you had your setbacks along the way in some in some degree. You were doing cold emails for crying out loud. Like I'm sure there were a lot of yeah. unanswered emails, flat out no's, et cetera. Like you probably had to send oh, a lot yeah. of those things to get anywhere. It's a lot of work for a little oh, bit of traction. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me and probably why it to at least some portion of why things have kind of worked out okay is that I just love it so much. Now I'm not telling you all the time. I love every single aspect of things, but, you know, those days early on and still to this day when I'm working on the book or something like that, or early on when it was trying to literally code HTML to build a website in 2009, I, was, I taught myself HTML to build a website raw like that. Um, even those days when I was getting up at 4.30 to work before work work, and then I was staying up till 2 after work work, um, I was so geeked on it. I was so pumped to be building this thing and then to watch YouTube videos about deer hunting and be like, man, I wonder if I could do that. And then learn how to use a DSLR camera, then watch another video to learn how to edit video and all that stuff. I mean, that was so much fun that um, it didn't feel like a grind a lot of the time. It was just me indulging my curiosity and my passion and my excitement for both hunting and communicating about hunting. Both of those things really get me pumped up. So I just, I got lucky that I was able to find something I was passionate about. And I, I talked to, you know, people like, you know, I got a, a nephew, young kid who's trying to you know, figure out his place in life. And I'm like, man, just find something you're passionate about. And maybe that's not the right answer for everyone, right? It probably isn't. Um, but I guess I got lucky in that I was able to find that thing for me. And it kind of jived with a few things I'm okay at, and and it worked. So, it's uh, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, finding a passion and and sticking to it, and I think having a support network behind you too also helps. And you had to have had some of that along the way, correct? Oh, for sure. Had uh, number one probably is my wife. I'm just being a trooper for all the late nights of work and all the travel and all the crazy things I've done, you know, 
having a great full-time job and quitting it to go out on my own for something so kind of risky and crazy as this, um, that, you know, I couldn't have done that if she wasn't giving me the two thumbs up. So uh, over and over and over again, she's proven to be a terrific team member for life. And uh, and then, yeah, I mean, so many other people within the industry, people who just, you know, answer an email and give you some suggestions or someone who introduces you to somebody else or, you know, all those little networking things. It's kind of cliche and cheesy when people say, oh, well, networking is so important. You got to network. You got to network. Um, but, man, it is the truth. It's a lot of times it comes down to who you know or having the right connection or, you know, just being a good person who tries to help other people, and eventually that kind of comes around. It so compounds that networking effect. You you meet one person, they know someone you meet, and then eventually it's like you've created this actual network and you've strengthened yeah. the layers within it, and suddenly it's doing things for you that you never could have imagined. Yeah. I get I get this question often from people, um, you know, how do you build a blog or how do you build a podcast or how do you build a YouTube show or how do you do a, whatever it is that you do? And um, it's really hard to give, you know, very detailed, customized advice for every single person. But right. it's always Everybody's my, different. My, my, yeah, but I think the general process that it takes to build something within whatever world it is that you're working in, or I guess, let me take that back. If you're trying to do what I did, you got to do one of these three things. You've got to just keep you pick your thing. So whether it's writing or photography or podcasting or video or whatever, pick your thing and then you just got to do it and do it and do it and keep fine tuning your craft, fine tuning your craft. So for me, when I first started I was writing, so I started blogging and I was not good at all. Um, but I was just learning. I, I didn't go to school for writing or anything like that. I just read every article I could find about how to become a better blogger, or how to build a blog or how to write better. And then I started buying every book I could find about writing. And I started studying those and trying to teach myself all these things. So I kept on teaching myself and then writing and teaching myself and writing, doing it over and over and over, even though nobody was reading. I had you know, like three three readers for my first article, only 10 for the next one. So I was do it, do it, do it, and then share it, share it, share it. Keep putting it out in the world. Put it out in the world. Put it anywhere people will see it. Just send it to your grandma. Send it to your mom. Send it to <laughs> Facebook. Send it to Twitter. Post it on forums. Post. Just keep on putting it out there. And then connect, connect, connect. So just do what we're talking about. Reach out to every different person you could possibly think of in this world. You know, respond to tweets. Post comments on their Instagram. Post comments on their Facebook. Send them a message once. And then if you do those three things, if you keep doing those three things over and over and over and get better at each one of those things every time you do it, it slowly has that compounding effect you just talked about. And um, opportunities start arising, and it just... Uh, it uh, builds off of that. So that's that's kind of what I did. That's beautiful, man. Awesome. I love it. And, and you got you said before we actually hit the record button and went live here, like you got to love the process. If you don't love the in-between stuff, the journey right, before you get to the destination and after you take off, like you got to love taking those steps every, every you know, step of the way, so to speak. If you don't like that part of it, like, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking about your book as I read that you're, you're talking, you actually quoted um, a walk in the wild, which by uh, is it Bryson? What's his first name? Is it Bill Bryson? Bill Bryson. Bill yeah. Bryson. Yeah. Um, great book. Um, and so he had said like it's so humdrum that eventually you you, you just kind of take one step after the other, and your body's just kind of doing this. But it's that yeah. that's the part you have to fall in love with. 
is that part right yeah. there because it's a grind, man. It wears on you. You get blisters on your feet. You run out of breath. Your legs get tired. Like, you have to learn to love those things. Yeah, and I think that's that's a trick to success, whether it's business or building a media brand, like you know mm-hmm. what what I was trying to do, or being a successful hunter. Any one of those things, like you have to learn to love that process, love the journey, and uh, everything else will take care of itself after that. Yeah, who said the scoreboard will take care of itself if you focus on the game, right? Just yes. focus on the game and the, and the scoreboard will take care of itself. So that's kind of cool. So um, you've been doing the podcast for, for how many years? Like since 2008, did you say? Uh, well, right? no, like, the, web, the, website, the website started in 2008. Didn't launch the podcast until late winter of 2014. So we're approaching six years of the podcast now. Sure. But you had all that writing and rapport kind of, I don't know, that yeah. momentum behind you there. So when you launched the podcast, you kind of had some something already kind of brewing. Oh, yeah. Had a had a built-in audience. I already had a, a pretty substantial audience just following the website and everything there. So, so yes, I was able to, to start the podcast with a built-in audience, and, and that certainly helped pick up momentum there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. And and you, so it's interesting that you have, I mean, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but you have enough foresight about you that you're able to kind of see these trends coming. So what led you to do a podcast? Like, why did you as a writer think, hmm, I should record this stuff with a microphone in a room in my house and start talking at people? Like, how did that come to be? Because that's pretty intuitive and insightful uh, for the time time period, right? You know, it's two things. Um Number one, I've approached what I've wanted to do always as uh, as like medium agnostic. So I don't I don't care about what the medium is I'm using. I just want to get my message out there, however people are taking information. So first, a blog was a way to do that, and then social media was a way to do that. And so okay, well I'm going to tap into this stuff. I'm going to learn how to talk about deer hunting and hunting via Twitter, and then I'm going to learn how to do that via Facebook and message boards are really big still back then so i was doing that a lot so i didn't care what the what the platform was i just wanted to figure out where people were where people were going for this stuff so then i started thinking man maybe i can start doing something on youtube maybe i can maybe there's some interesting things on video so i started dabbling there it was never that i was like passionate about i really want to be a videographer it was i think there's a way to tell this story in that form and so the same thing came about with podcasting. I started, I was more and more aware of podcasts, was a more um, avid podcast consumer. All the way from 2008 to 2013, I was increasingly listening to more and more podcasts myself. Um, interestingly, podcasts were probably the tool that helped me the very most to build my business and prepare myself to, to go full-time with it. I listened to a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts and marketing podcasts and business podcasts and things like that. So I'm, I'm realizing, I'm finding that this podcast medium is a great way to learn. It's a great way to, you know, dive deep into different topics. And I found it to be really engaging. Like I was really engaged with the host and with the information. And so it was working me as a consumer. So I thought, well, shoot, well, why wouldn't this work with, a, with the hunting world? And so I quit my day job, which gave me a lot more time to try new things. And the very first new thing I knew I wanted to try then at that point was was building a podcast. 
so so that's where the podcast thing came came about from and uh and yeah that that worked pretty good and who knows though five years from now might be something different and i don't i don't plan to sit on my butt and just stick with what what i have been doing yeah Um, complacency can can be a killer that's um so I love that you say you listen to business talk. So I'm I'm going to relate to you here on this on this vein, and uh, this is where I'm doing the interrupting thing that I talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty. Um, so I I got so I follow Gary Vaynerchuk. I got to meet him last April, which is probably one of the like the you know talk about being starstruck. I was like nice. as giddy as anybody could be, and no one actually knows who he is. Like my wife's like, why do you care so much about this guy? I'm like, well, what? I've well, been I'd... following him for for six years. <laughs> you don't understand. It's Gary V. and and he talks a lot about what you're talking about, which is don't be um, be agnostic when it comes to these mediums. He's uh, day trading attention, right? So where are people consuming yeah. content? So I love that you have the audio word going out through podcasts. You have the written word going out through blog articles, now a book. And then you have the video stories going out through YouTube and other channels like Meat Eater. So um, you've definitely covered your ground that way. And then you said like the social media is a conduit. Well, where's the attention at, right? Sometimes it's Facebook, maybe it's Twitter, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's whatever it's going to be, TikTok, who knows. Um, In the future, we'll have to learn some of those other nuances, but Mm -hmm. you're doing a great job of navigating it. Like you've, you've been on my radar, like not radar, but like you've been in my consumption model as a consumer of hunting materials for the last five years, at least. I've probably been following you around the same time I started following Gary Vee, actually. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though, the danger of following Gary Vee is that you, you will feel perpetually inadequate because it's hard yeah. to keep up with that guy. <laughs> I treat him uh, like my boss. That's what I do for my side hustle. I just listen to him, picture him yelling at me for not doing something. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a great guiding light. It was it was his first book, Crush It, uh, that that made me decide to make the decision. It was that fall of 2009. I was. I was at a bookstore. I was at Barnes & Noble in San Francisco, and on an end cap, I saw this black book with green letters, and the front said, why now is the time to crush it, cash oh my in God. on your passion. Love it. And I picked up that book, and I started reading it, and that book changed my life. And I decided that I read the whole book that night, and that night was the night I made that decision. I'm doing That's this thing. Did I lend uh, that book to you, Greg? I do have it. The signed copy? Yeah, you better give that it's back. It's in a safe place. A okay, <laughs> that's incredible, Mark. How awesome, man! I mean, I don't think there's a better example of a book changing someone's life. However, I will say your book has now set me on a trajectory to go to Yellowstone National Park. So nice. um, I told my wife, that's like awesome. the first day I cracked it open, I'm like, well, guess where we're going? And that might happen <laughs> this year. So I'm I'm pretty enthused, Good. man. That's great. I love to hear it. That's that's. That is the coolest thing. That is the greatest reward I get from any of the projects that I work on is hearing from someone about the positive way that, you know, some piece of my work has been able to influence or change their life in, in some kind of way. And hearing that from the book or the podcast or something, that, I mean, you can't beat that. So I, I appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah, well, it's- it's important. I think it's important. And I think people should read it. Honestly, the, the Greg knows more than I do about like some of the figures you talk about in there, like the, the, all the different land acts and the flippa and all these different things. Um, so like you navigated that really well, maybe, um, spend a little bit of time talking about like how many, how many national parks and state parks did you go to that went into this book and kind of 
um, paint the picture for folks that maybe haven't picked it up yet, what they can expect. Yeah, so the book is called That Wild Country, An Epic Journey Through the Past, Present, and Future of America's Public Lands. And so this is the story of what I just said there, the history of how we got our public lands and, and how this whole system came to be, an examination of what's happening right now and, and what it all might mean for the future of these places. But then, you know, the through line of that informational narrative, the through line is a series of my own adventures out in these public lands. So I wanted to use a series of my own travels to, to kind of illustrate the history, to illustrate the issues, um, and to just help share why these places are so damn special. So I, I'm lucky to be able to spend a lot of time out in some of these wild places, both out west and in other parts of the country. So I had a good number of options to pick from. But when I decided to write the book, um was right around somewhere in 2016, I guess. So at that point, I started really paying attention to everything I was doing. I was trying to start starting to take copious notes and, and, and just thinking about where these things might fit into this story that I was starting to formulate in my mind. Um, and so, yeah, I think it ended up being 10 trips that that I that I included in this book. Um several of those were national parks, several of those were designated wilderness areas, some Bureau of Land Management lands, um national forests, uh a national lake shore, uh a wildlife refuge as well. So so pu- federal public lands across the country are, are bucketed into these different designations. So those all those things I just listed out. There's all these different types of federal public land out there, and, and they're all managed for slightly different uses. They're managed by different organizations. Um, so that's an important thing, I think, that I tried to explain at the very beginning of the book that a lot of people don't realize um, is that there's a whole bunch of types of public land out there. I know early on in my life, I just kind of knew there was national parks, and then there was other stuff, but I didn't really know what that meant. And um, I think that whole information gap and that example I just shared with you is, is just one of those missing pieces of information. I, I realized there was this huge information gap where a lot of people know we have some kind of public land out there. They're aware of our national parks especially. And then within like the hunting and fishing world, maybe we're a little bit more aware because we see people out there in national forests or you hear people talk about wilderness or something. Um but when it comes to the nuts and bolts of like how did we get here or who are the people that actually fought to put these places on the map or what are the what are all the frameworks and policies that, that govern this stuff or why do people argue about it so much? You hear about all these controversies and you see this stuff pop up on the news. And, and before I ever started diving into it myself, I didn't really understand it at all. And I worked in this industry and in this world spend a lot of time in these places. So I, I kind of realized that if I don't understand this stuff very well, sure as hell a lot of other people in the country that don't. So mm-hmm. that's why I decided to write this book because I wanted to write something that would kind of serve as a like a beginner's guide to our public lands and a really fun journey throughout them. So that by the time you read this, you've had a good time, you're inspired to go out and explore these places yourself, and you have at least a basic foundation to understand the news that you're seeing today, to understand the the work that went into getting to this point, and to also be better positioned to try to keep them around. 
Yeah, and you did a great job of integrating a lot of the history and, I guess, the progression of a lot of these places, too, um, as far as policies and the big players that were involved with them. It's a lot to it's a lot to take in. You know, it really is. There's a lot that's transpired. You know, the the talking about like the revolution of like just developing our lands in this country, becoming who we are, and then some of those folks realizing, hey, whoa, wait a second. If we keep developing this, like you had said several times, like we can't recreate the redwood forest, we can't recreate the Grand Canyon, we can't reproduce these natural wonders. Um, we need to protect them. And so, what were some of the yeah. biggest kind of acts or bills that were passed to protect them that stood out uh, from the book? I mean, there, there's you just you just <laughs> mentioned one of the biggest challenges, which is how do you how do you filter down the million different things that have gone on over the last mm-hmm. 150 years down to the single or the, the several most important? Because even as it stands, I, I look back at now and I, and I look at the book and I think to myself, man, I probably should have even cut more out because there's this risk of overwhelming people with minutiae or just like too much of the policy stuff or too much. But I kept on being, well, this is really important. Understanding this is important. Right. This is important. It's and kind I of a domino effect, and, and it's this all part of the story. This had to happen before this next thing could happen. So, like, I should probably talk yeah. about that thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to draw those lines. Yeah, you had a ton yeah. of facts in that. So I, I tried to cut as much as I could and just leave, like, the essential few. Um, but, but that was hard to do. So I think, you know, some of the very most important steps in this whole thing were – you know, we we began the federal public land system back in 1872 with the creation of Yellowstone National Park, and that was signed into existence by President Ulysses S. Grant. And that kind of set this precedent for the fact that, hey, we as a government can set aside a large chunk of land to be managed by the federal government for the people and for all these various uses, for the wildlife, for recreational enjoyment, et cetera, et cetera. And so that set this precedent that uh, we could do that at the federal level. There have been some state things like that, but this is the first national park. And and, and, and things didn't start right then, right? As, as you guys read in the book, there was this kind of slow, steady build as people started realizing that, wow, this country is not, you know, never ending. The resources are not infinite. Um, we quickly were running out of space and wildlife and natural resources and gobbling it up and shooting it down and cutting it over and all these things. So there became this, this growing movement to start trying to protect a little bit of what was out there. And so that came to fruition with that national park. Once that national park was created, um, the forest reserve, the forest reserve act, uh, shoot. Um, what page is it? We can look it up right now. (laughs) Um, but, uh, Whatever the hell this this uh, piece of legislation was that followed soon after that in the early 1880s, I okay. think it was now. Essentially, this was yes, this was the, the the piece of legislation that allowed for the creation of forest reserves, which are now known as national forests. So presidents had the power to circle a piece of land and say, "This is now going to be a forest reserve." And that was massive. That was a huge, huge thing because that's when we really started getting significant pieces of public land set aside that couldn't be homesteaded, that couldn't be 
you know, clear cut without mercy that, that, that actually had some oversight on. So that's when we started seeing some chunks of a million acres, two million acres, things like that being, that's the big being stuff. put into yeah. the public. Yeah. And so that's we have... Theodore Roosevelt started getting involved. He started advocating for those in a big way when he was founding the Boone and Crockett uh, Club. And, and this was before he was even president. Yes, yes. Before he was president, he was he really had his fingers on the on the strings of the puppet. He was even puppeteering back then and making that all happen. So he was really, really influential when it came to National Forests. And then when he became president, he of course um, signed the Antiquities Act, which then allowed for the creation of national monuments, which is a huge thing because national monuments are the first step in many cases to either a permanently protected landscape and monument form or some days in some cases national parks so he named the grand canyon a national monument at a time that a lot of people were trying to chew it up as a tourist attraction or mining facility all the different things and he said no do not mar it you can't do anything to it that'll make it better you gotta save this thing for our children and our children's children yeah, and so he good. named it a national monument and i got and to visit I got to visit there uh, just this past spring, so almost a year ago now, and it's a, it's a crazy place. It's amazing to me. Yeah. I don't know what. There's no words to describe it other than just awesome and huge and dangerous and beautiful all in one. Well, you had said too, like, and I know we're this is shiny object syndrome syndrome at play here, but um, or maybe scotch at one or the other, but. <laughs> In any event, I'm thinking like you had mentioned, like it's very important to get out of the car and not just pass yeah. through these places that are so special and like, you know, roll your sleeves up, get some dirt under your fingernails, maybe, you know, some sweat in your brow and maybe even some blood and some pain and some blisters yeah. because there yeah. becomes a new appreciation for these lands when you're out in them, experiencing them, not just looking at them. Oh, yeah. hundred, hundred percent. Huge advocate for that. And and I guess... I, it's, I'd I'd rather you drive through them than do nothing. So correct. I'll take yep. Yeah, we talked about step. accessibility. Take yep. that as the first step. Yes, but but you will be you'd be remiss if you didn't take advantage of the opportunity to actually get out there. That's when that's when the real magic happens. So so that kind of leads me really well into the final, really important, um, really important moment in the history of our public lands with the passing of the Wilderness Act. So you had you had first this first national park, and then you had the creation of national forests, so this new designation of public land that, um, you know, allowed some more uses of those places. So national parks were very recreation-focused. National forests were very multiple-use-focused. So, so doing some logging, doing some mineral extraction, doing some recreation, protecting it still for, for water and uh, natural resources. But then you had to also designate something on the opposite side of the scale, which is what we came to with the Wilderness Act, which was, yes, there are places and times where we should be developing public lands in a careful, sustainable way. But there are also some times and some places where maybe the absolute highest use, the best thing we can do, is to just leave them exactly as they are. Let's not build a visitor center in the middle of them in a bunch of parking lots and a bunch of hotels. Let's not put a bunch of drills. Let's not clear-cut it all down. We need a few last remnant pieces of wilderness, capital W in this case. <laughs> and um, 
And I'm, I'm so, so thankful that that eventually became law in the 60s because it gives us places like the Bob Marshall Wilderness or the Frank Church Wilderness or the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, um, places that that you can't help but have life-changing experiences when you go out to the middle of a place like that and, uh, and see what this earth is really made of. Um, I live for, for, for places like that and experiences like that. So that was really a pinnacle of the public land movement where we were finally able to have this, this final step in the, in the methodology of protect, protecting our country's land. So we have all these different ways of going about it, all with different priorities. And I think that's what makes our public land system so special is that we haven't just chose one single way of doing it and saying like, nope, we're going to have public lands. It's only for these people. It's only to be used this one way. And it's always going to be just like this. No, we've said, you know what? We understand there's a lot of stakeholders. We understand there's a lot of possible uses. We understand that there's a, a sliding scale as far as how people want to interact with these places. So we're going to, you know, the people that, that, that worked through this process over the decades had the foresight to realize this and, and to have things as wildly different with national parks and wilderness areas. You know, Yellowstone is, or Yosemite, like Yosemite Valley, for example, looks very, very, very different than a wilderness area. And, and I think it's good that we have both. I would agree. And, and getting into these zones, like we talked about, like I've been to the Boundary Water Canoe Area. That's probably the most remote place I've been in terms of wilderness with a capital W. And it's one of the most memorable, I wouldn't even know if I would call it a vacation, but one of the most memorable places and experiences I've ever had and been to. What's yeah. the most wilderness place you guys have been to? Craig, what about you? I can't say as I've actually had a good wilderness experience where I can say I've been off the grid for a week. It's never happened in my lifetime. Um, well, we're going to plan. Yeah, we'll get plot, there. Plot scheme, scheme. I mean, I've, I've been to a few national parks, but it's, you know, if I have relatives that really can't get around that mm -hmm. well, you know, it's not like I can go get off the path. My wife and I want to. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the passion is there. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, we have mother-in-law with or a young child with or something, yeah, you it's kind of hard to get too far away. So I don't want to make that an excuse, but that's kind of usually when we go to see these places, mm -hmm. it's an entire family because everybody wants to see it. Yeah. So that's, that's good, though, too. That's a good yeah. Point. But no, I've not had right, the opportunity, so it, it's going to it happen. It goes right back to goes right back to that value of having the different options, right? So you right. can go and you can drive. You can drive through Yellowstone, still have a cool experience. And, yeah, and we and we, we drove through Glacier, mm -hmm. going to the Sun Road. It was only open for like two weeks or three weeks out of that year when we went, because of all the construction that goes on with all the erosion. They get so much snowfall. Mm -hmm. We're in there in the middle to end of August, and there's still snow on the peaks. It's awesome. Amazing but, place. Oh, amazing it's an amazing place. place. Didn't get to see hardly any of it compared to what we would love to have seen. So, Mark, um, so we'll we'll book. Hold on, bookmark the the most wilderness place you've been to, and maybe it'll coincide with your most memorable hunt. And if you could share that story with us, I'm excited to hear because I know you had something kind of queued up in your mind before we started. And then from there, we do have a couple calls in queue. So we'll we'll keep those guys in there, gals, whoever they might be. And then we'll open up the lines after the, the memorable hunt and take a couple calls just for Q&A, if that, if that sounds all right for you. Yeah, yeah. So this will be a really hard pivot uh, because <laughs> my, 
my <laughs> memorable hunt that I'm going to share with you is the complete opposite probably of my wilderness experiences. Um, but it's, it's very memorable for different reasons. Um, this hunt that, um, that sticks with me right now, especially was with my son. This was this last spring. My son was just a little bit over a year old and I took him out for our first quote unquote Turkey hunt. Mm -hmm. I, I strapped him on my chest, like in that little chest pack, and we went out into the woods, a little property I've got access to that's right behind some houses, right off the road. From the spot where we walked into, you can see barns and houses and cars. It's not wilderness at all. Um, but we were able to sneak in and literally just inside the edge of the woods, like we just got past the fields, just to the edge of the woods. I slipped in late morning with him, and I just was planning on not – I mean, I, I didn't even bring a gun, so it wasn't really a hunt, but it was a hunt, quote-unquote, with him just to try to have a good time and see if we could see a bird and just give him a cool experience. And right away, I spot a gobbler way off in the opposite corner of the field. So we hunkered down, and I started calling, and then, uh, you know, this bird was so far away, though. He was kind of strutting around way off in the distance. And maybe five minutes into watching that bird and occasionally calling, all of a sudden, from... 80 yards away in the other direction a new gobbler just exploded and my son kind of jumps and looks that way and he's like yeah yeah and all of a sudden there's this other bird and he's coming in on a string to me and so i'm yelping and every time i mouth yelp my son who's strapped onto my chest and we're just we're kneeling down in the middle of a two track in the woods there's no blind there's no nothing we're just kneeling down in the leaves Every time I yelp with my mouth, my son starts to mimic it. So I'm like, <laughs> and he'd be like, bop, 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 And the, the gobbler, the turkey's gobbling back every single time. He's just over a year old at that point. Oh, my wow. gosh. So, so the two of us are, go are yelping at the turkey. The turkey's gobbling back. My son's holding a little plastic turkey figurine. He's, like, throwing it up in the air and bopping in the leaves and crashing leaves and looking <laughs> at me and giggling and pointing at the turkey. And that son of a gun comes all the way into 40 yards, hammering his face off, just going nuts. My son's going nuts. There's nothing between us. The turkey should see us and my son flipping out, but he doesn't. <laughs> and if I'd had a gun and if I wasn't worried about traumatizing my son, we could have killed a turkey on our very first <laughs> hunt together. And uh, it was so cool. I actually have little phone videos of it still that I was kind of taking throughout. So someday I can't wait to share that with him. It was, it was all about sharing that experience with my son. And I think that's where I am in my life now is, is wanting to share these incredible experiences and these places I've been able to visit. I want to share those things with, with my son now and, and a, a second son here arriving in just a matter of days. Um, that's what I'm most excited about now. And, and that's why things like this book or other projects that, that I hope can, can leave wild places and wild animals around for my kids. That's, that's why I'm doing these things now is to, to hopefully leave something behind that's better than yeah. we've got it now. Leave a legacy. I love that. That's a great story, by the way. Like that, that's like warmed my heart. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it is an awesome story to see your kid react and mimic and do what kids do. I, I know I used to do certain things and my niece would imitate them and good or good, bad or worse. It was still pretty comical. Mm -hmm. Sometimes oh, inappropriate. Yeah. We said my daughter in the <laughs> yeah. before we started, she's, you know, she likes getting her, she likes to hear her voice on the mic. So 
future co-host maybe yeah that's what i put on <laughs> that's what i put on our little instagram story yeah. well that's uh we got we got one caller coming from Connecticut. Uh, I know this caller well. I'm going to bring him in. Uh, D Rock. He runs the East Coast Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, D Rock. Thanks for waiting there with us, bud. You're live on the show. What's going on? What's going on, E Money? How you doing? Good. I'm good. How are you, D Rock? D Money. Good. 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 <laughs> nice to uh, talk to Greg and and definitely honored to talk to Marky Mark. What's going on, Mark? been uh wanting to shake your hand for a while but i guess this will do for now hey i uh i appreciate it man it's good i'm glad to be able to chat with you hell yeah man so uh you know as as uh eric said i'm i'm d rock from the east coast bowen podcast and uh i've been listening to the whole show so the first things first i'm sorry eric you uh the music while i'm on hold man i feel like i'm the <laughs> Salt, and you've been on hold for a long time. That was a deliberate decision because I think people were getting confused if they were brought into the show or not before. So maybe I'll change it back. Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> I'm no expert at, at podcasting, but I felt like am I like in one of those mystery boat shows or should I be solving a, a, a detective scene? I don't know. Okay, but it's it the okay cool. podcast, right? We got We got to live oh, up to our man. name. <laughs> So, uh, and, and real quick, I'm I'm a little jelly that you're sipping on the Dalmore, sitting right in front of me as I watch. So, um, yeah. but anyways, Mark, I have a I have a good question for you, man. That uh, this is something that I've been wanting to ask you for quite some time now. And uh, you know, at, at our show, we really focus and preach the greater good, which is kind of corny to some, but at the same time, like that's that's our backing and and our repertoire and what we have in our resume in the sense of really trying to bring numbers up in every manner or form that we could possible. Um, and you mentioned earlier that podcasting is, is a really good medium uh, to connect and learn and, and really uh, almost like a gateway. So I guess what I'm trying to ask you is what, how did it open doors for you or what door did it open for you personally that you appreciate the most? especially through podcasting. And before you answer that, the reason I ask is this is something very personal to me because uh, about, <clears throat> I want to say maybe, shoot, now four years ago, I started listening to podcasts, uh, specifically hunting podcasts, really hardcore, uh, just to learn and really uh, specifically learn whitetail primarily. But uh, Wired to Hunt was one of the primary podcasts that I was listening to along with others. And uh, it really seemed to click and make sense and be relatable all at the same time. And me, I love to read and I love to soak up knowledge, but there's no better way to just soak your ears with knowledge as you're trucking along through, through work, the work day specifically for me, or even long, long drives. So uh, that's why for me, it, it's, I get my passion from podcasting and listening to podcasts because it's it's seems to be the new age wealth of knowledge or the new age encyclopedia. And this is coming from a bookworm that his dad owned a bookstore. And when it closed down, guess what? We had to add it full of books. So uh, just to have it in, I guess, the most relatable form to someone like yourself or Eric or even Greg to put it in such an easy format, uh, that was huge for me. 
and it opened up so many doors and especially got the podcast going for myself personally and my co-host Trev. Um, but for you, I'm very curious, like what door it opened up for you? Cause I know you had other ventures. I know there's a loaded question, so bear with me. I know you had other ventures, but there's gotta be something that really stands out when you started podcasting and then boom, just kind of hits you first thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a great, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm really, you know, honored to hear that you found wired to hunt helpful in the past for yourself. So thanks for listening. Um, I think podcasts did two things and I think you touched on a couple, but one, as you described, podcasts allow for a different level of education, just different than anything else out there right now. You can write articles, you can write a hunting book, you can do a tutorial on YouTube, whatever, um, but you can have a TV show on the Outdoor Channel, but nothing allows you the opportunity that a podcast does as far as the time available, as far as how deep you can go into things. Um, and so just from a purely educational standpoint, it's just best in class. So for a long time, one of the main things I was trying to do with Wired Hunt was be one of the best educational resources. So I was trying to do that with the website, but with the podcast, just all of a sudden I was able to crank that up to a brand new level. And and kind of like you, I've always been a bookworm and I've been just, ver- uh, I'm just a incredibly curious person person I want to learn 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 and never stop learning so I wanted to talk to all the best hunters out there I wanted to talk to all these different people for myself personally um, so having that podcast allowed me to selfishly do the thing that I was most curious and interested in but do it in a way that as I learned I could share everything I was learning with you know a large audience of people alongside of me. So number one, it was just the best way I found yet to educate people because it was educating people as I educated myself. Number two though, and I think this was the secret sauce probably to why a lot of other things have, have gone decent for me. And that's the fact that I think podcasts, or at least the way we've done a podcast, um, allows for you to develop a very personal connection between the host and the listener. When you have got my voice in your headphones every week or multiple days a week and you tune in for a couple hours at a time and every week you're hearing about my kids and you're hearing about this hunt and you're hearing about this thing I screwed up and you're hearing how my buddy and I are, are dealing with challenges of balancing hunting and our family lives and you hear about the time I missed a buck and you heard about you know this thing and, and that thing you develop almost a personal relationship with the host. You kind of feel like we're buddies. And that has happened over the course of six years now doing this <laughs> podcast to where now I have, I have, you know, tens of thousands of people that feel like we've got a really strong personal connection, me and you or me and course, whoever. I'm um, laughing because I awkwardly met you at ATA like three years ago. And I'm certain you had no effing clue who I was. I was like, hey, Mark. <laughs> and you're like, hey. Yeah. You're really nice about it, which is great. But I was like, I'm Eric with, with Weird Hunt. <laughs> You're like, all right. <laughs> but I felt like I knew you, so it's kind of funny. That exactly. Not- like people, and that's like it's it's really awesome. It's it's the coolest thing, and I and I, um, and I appreciate it so much that people allow me into their lives, and just like people allow you guys into their lives when they listen to your podcast. 
Um, but I think that is something that podcasts uniquely do. I think podcast listeners develop a relationship with the creator in a way that's unique compared to a writer, compared to a TV show host, compared to anything else. And I think it builds more rabid fans than anything because of that. So the podcast connected me with my audience in a way that none of my other mediums ever did. And I think that has catapulted all my other projects um, because of it. Amen, brother. Well said. And uh, I'll, I'll jump off the line to get other callers in. And I pre- I'm really appreciative for your time. And Eve and Greg, thank you for consistently letting me chime into your show. We love you, D-Rock. Uh, no. Yeah, we like, we like yeah, hearing man. from you. Put it on your tab. For sure. For, for nice sure, meeting you, man. Sure. Thank you. Like, likewise, Mark, and I'll, I'll be bugging you on the social media. Maybe you can get your voice heard on the East Coast. So have a good night, fellas. Sounds good. Hit me up. Have a great night. All right, peace. So we got one more we'll bring in uh, before we call it, Mark. We'll do one more Q&A. Um, we got, do, do, do. Let's see here. Zach Hoheisel coming out of Appleton, Wisconsin. Zach, you're live on the show. How you doing, buddy? Good. I'm not sure where you guys are at because I've been listening to awful hold music for a while, so I don't want to train wreck your episode. It's <laughs> <laughs> only the second person right, to complain tonight the about music. the awful music. I've heard you guys loud here. No more music. <laughs> There's um, one thing you so, do this week. Uh-huh. Um. So anyway, like I said, I don't want to train wreck and change a subject, but um, I just wanted to call in and kind of fanboy out for a second. For um, Mark, I found you. I remember I was working with my brother. We were doing a painting job, um, and I was complaining about how much I hate painting. And he was like, you need to start listening to podcasts. It'll make your day go by faster. And I had no idea what a podcast was. Um so I just typed in hunting because I figured that that'd be something I want to listen to. And at the time, I think you were one of the only hunting podcasts out there and you were on episode 13 and uh-huh, I've really? been listening to all. Yeah. I've been listening all 13 episodes. Um, and I've been listening every week since it's just been super cool. I told my wife not too long ago, it's just been cool to like, you know, it's, it's felt like I kind of like got to know you. And when you told you know, Dan, that you were having a baby for the first time and all that. It was just really cool. And you're one of the very few people that I've been um, following for that long of time because I feel like you're really doing things for the right reasons. Um, you've always put out great stuff. And I just have been a huge fan for a long time. And it's you really inspired me to start doing some of my own things. And I just want to thank you for all the great stuff you've done over the years. Uh, well, you're welcome. And thank you so much for, for saying that and for for following along for that for that long it that means the world makes makes it all worthwhile thank you for that yeah no problem zach we're hooking you up with these guests i think the last well i've heard from you more than that and you've been a guest on the show but i think i remember you called in with a sam soholt that was on and he's super inspirational too his story is incredible um you yeah, know for different I would reasons say, but... yeah i would say mark and sam are the two Eric, you've been nailing them. You've been getting. Who else do we get, Zach? Help, help me out here. Who else do you <laughs> want to talk to? This is great. <laughs> yeah. So, Eric, you got great guests. Uh, Mark, I just want to thank you again for all you've done. I'm a, a long time listener, and I also want to say I think you are the perfect yin to Dan Johnson's yang. So <laughs> keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we uh, we certainly balance each other's weird things uh, pretty decently well. It's a, it's a good pairing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll hop off here. I'm sure there's other people where you're trying to wrap up. So I I appreciate you letting me call in again, Eric. Yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks so much. We'll we'll get you in studio soon. Thanks, Zach. Yeah. We'll see you. How about that, Mark? What do you think? That's uh, two real nice compliments. And I'm sure we could take plenty more, but we don't want to take too much of your, your time. Uh, you got a little one. You got another one on the way. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Any day now. So we we uh, got the pack and play all set up, got the baby bag ready to go for the hospital. And now we're just waiting for the, uh, for the action. Why yep. like this baby? We have two right now. We have a four-month-old as of yesterday. He's four months, and then we have a two-year-old. Uh, they're two years and eight days apart. So um, my wife is a saint. She yeah. oh, not yeah. only raised our kids, she cooked Greg and I dinner in the Instant Pot tonight. We had uh, nice. a venison roast, nice piece of hindquarter roast, huh? It was mm-hmm. delicious. And uh, yeah, she lets us do this. And two kids is you're in for it, buddy. I hope you're ready for. Reliving that again with another one. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Magical. It's how much you actually crazy? How much you forget about that you never thought you would forget. And you're like, oh my god, I forgot about how little they were. Like, you know, there's all sorts of yeah. nuances that come back. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's becoming very real at this point. So I'm I'm trying to brace myself for for the whole infant stage again. It's just it's just now getting. <laughs> easier with with like our son our son turns two this friday and so uh and so yeah i will be kind of in a similar situation to you will be with a with a two-year-old and then an infant and uh i don't know it's gonna be a whole new adventure but are uh, they gonna share birthdays we had a concern that we thought we were gonna we were gonna hit that mark almost two september babies yeah how close is it they they have the exact same due date so according oh, no. to conception, they're supposed to have the same birthday. Um, but but the first one actually came two weeks early. Okay. So so kiddo number two isn't supposed to arrive for two weeks from now, but I'm kind of planning on him arriving at the same time as our first. So mm-hmm. anytime from this Friday on, I'm just expecting game time. Cool. Well, how cool is it that you do your own thing? By and large, obviously you have obligations, but, you know. What a, what a great life you've carved out for you and your family, man. That's super cool. We're happy to have heard your yeah. story today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I'm 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 really fortunate and uh, very thankful for that, and uh, appreciate appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity to, to share that story today. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna go ahead and end the live broadcast. So thanks again, and uh, just so people know that might not know about you, <clears throat> doubtful. But go ahead and share um, where they can get the book. Um, and where they can find some of your content. Yeah, so the book is called That Wild Country, and you can find it on Amazon or a variety of different booksellers online or in person. Um, So check that out. And you can see everything else I've got going on by just searching Wired to Hunt. If you search that on a podcast app, you'll find my podcast app. If you look for that on Instagram, you'll find my, my socials, Facebook, Twitter, all the above. And I'm very active on all those platforms. I also still do some writing over on the Meat Eater website. And finally, I also host a show for Meat Eater that's called The Back 40, which is uh, on our Meat Eater YouTube channel. It's all about uh, building a whitetail property and managing it for biodiversity and deer hunting. 
So uh, it's kind of a different take on your typical whitetail show, but it's it's been a lot of fun and, and something new we're working on. So that's what's what the, I got going on. What's the future of Back 40 looking like? I thought I had heard or read that it was possibly being given away. Is that correct? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, we're giving it away in 2021. Okay. So another season under under its belt to see if you can squeeze some more out of it. And then is that a project that you think will continue or can you not say? Uh, well, it's it, the, all I know is this year. This year is just going okay. to be a ton, a ton of work. Lots and lots and lots and lots of work. Um, the first year is really about learning the property, trying to bring a bunch of experts out to get recommendations and to hunt it and kind of see what's going on already. And now year two is is trying to implement everything we learned about last year. So sure. we're starting here in just a matter of weeks. It's going to be getting our hands dirty and uh, trying to build this thing and, and make some quick changes that will hopefully have a long-term impact. Yeah, and it's a pretty real-world situation that a lot of landowners go through. I mean, even here in Wisconsin, you got, you know, the, the 20 to 80-acre parcels or 40-acre parcels, 60-acre parcels that people own, and they've done things the same over and over. The fields get planted, you know, and rotated in crops, but they don't do like what you guys have done with that piece of property. So it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, thank you. It's um it's it's a challenge, but it's it's I think it's going to be fun seeing it all come together. The year year 1 was was a tough one, but I learned a lot and um I'm excited to see what we can do. Okay, the tip of the week. I should probably start calling this segment something else. I can't remember the last time I gave like a tactical tip. That being said, we are going to get into some more tactical conversations. We have guests. Uh, I think we're booked out every Tuesday all the way till like April. So um, buckle up. You're in for a ride. It's going to be a great year, a good season. That being said, I guess my tip from this week is to not like quite literally, but maybe in some cases, get out of the car and go get on some property. I think uh, some advice that I might have is, you know, there's a lot of folks that I take messages and calls from, et cetera, that are struggling to start with whatever they're starting with. Everyone has their own thing, whether that's a podcast or a business or how to hunt a certain way. Um, we all start from somewhere. We're all at different places in this journey. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of like that going to the gym mentality where you know, maybe you're a little out of shape or whatever and you there's that gym intimidation factor that some people are like, well, I don't want to go because all these other guys are already fit or these other girls are already fit and, you know, it's intimidating or whatever. I'm not there yet. Everyone starts somewhere. So for hunting, I look at it and go, well, everyone else already gets these big bucks. Like, how am I going to get there? You got to start. You got to just get in the woods. You got to get out there. You got to put the time in. And I tell you, the compounding nature that we talked about with Mark about how things kind of build, um, that's certainly taken effect for me. And it's interesting because you know i haven't filled a buck tag in two years or whatever it is um year and a half and but i've also been chasing more mature animals i've which is just a personal thing for me and that's a hard gap to kind of cover um to bridge and so i'm trying to get out of my comfort zone so but it's intimidating i am trying really hard and when you try to do new things there's a lot of failure in that, but there's really, really big learnings. So 
Um, when I say get out of the car, I'm referring back to the episode. Instead of just driving through places, get out, take those moments, take that time, be consistent. That is the biggest thing. It's a force multiplier. I think that was my tip of the week last week is be consistent. Um, stay consistent, continue doing things. You know, we've been doing this show every single Tuesday for over a year now, just about, or about a year, whatever it is, um, you know, short of a couple holidays. So I don't know. That's, it's kind of a weird tip. Be consistent, do little things, make small changes, get into the woods. Don't worry what other people are doing. Worry about yourself, I guess. And not in a mean way, but just focus on your own shit. And, uh, that's my tip of the week. Focus on your own shit. Hashtag focus on your own shit. How about that? Anyway, hey, hey everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I saw some more reviews coming in. I read those. They mean a ton to me. I read those and it, it really helps me continue to do this. Your feedback means the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day and uh, get outside and hunt public. <laughs>